0: Hey friends, this is episode 11 of the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Disciplines section that TJ and I have been leading you through. If you haven't seen any of the previous work, that's okay. You can hop in right here. Uh, It might feel a little bit awkward. We've already covered uh, the sections on doctrine, the social witness of the church, the layout of the local church. Now we've gotten to the nature of ordained ministry and the different ordained roles there are in the Global Methodist Church, so we're going to be starting in paragraph 404 today. Um, before we get into that, I've been sick. My throat has been really hurting, so TJ's going to do the bulk of the reading today. And um, anything else to say, TJ, before we get started?
1: Well, that I can think of. Okay. We just get into it.
0: Well, I just wanted to say a note of thanks to those who've been following along. We had a lot of people watch the last episode, episode 10, Got a lot of feedback on it and a lot of really helpful notes on it as well. So uh, there was a good deal of texture needed after last week's coverage of deacons, and we're going to get some of that today. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Paragraph 404, TJ, take us.
1: Types of ordained ministry. From its earliest days, Methodism was unique in its adoption of an itinerant ministry involving circuit-writing preachers who carried the gospel in Wesleyan, Witnessed across numerous frontiers around the world. While the nature of itinerancy has changed over the decades according to the needs and circumstances of church and culture, it continues to be reflected in the appointment system of clergy who are willing and ready to serve wherever most needed. Within the Global Methodist Church, there are two types of ordained ministry located ministry and ministry of oversight or apostolic ministry. Located ministry, clergy appointed to serve in a particular place, such as a pastor of a local church or director of a social service agency, are part of the located ministry of the global Methodist church. They shall have that that call affirmed and be appointed by the bishop over the annual conference wherein they serve, who shall also oversee their work. Clergy and local ministry may serve in a full-time, part-time, or bivocational capacity or as a volunteer. Anything to say on the located ministry?
0: This is a a historical tension in Methodism where uh, clergy haven't ever really wanted to move and local churches haven't ever really wanted their clergy to move. However, as it says at the beginning of this section itinerancy was part of the spiritual DNA of the Methodist movement from the beginning. It's right. where it got a lot of its dynamism, a lot of its energy. Also, that's uh, there are a lot of practical things about it um, that keep churches or clergy from climbing uh, a ladder uh, of um, uh, grandiosity, I guess. If they're itinerant. If they're itinerant, yeah. So like, if you have a regu- regular exchange of clergy, first off, if you're doing a good job maintaining the doctrine and discipline within the clergy, then that means that there is a consistent leadership at the top of every local church that that is maintaining the standard and the banner of Methodism. So even if you get a weak pastor, they're gone after a year, and then you get another strong one that maintains the standard. Um, but also you have clergy that can't sit and build up their own like citadel, um, over the course of a decade or two, and create like this cult of personality. Rather, they've just got to move along. And if it's about them and their ego and the way that they like things, the they'll, they'll, they'll wash out.
1: I mean, I see the I see the benefit in that. I don't, I don't really care for it, but I see the benefit in it.
0: So, so there is a lot of people who didn't care for it, but usually it was because they wanted to be comfortable. And so they they kind of like the idea of, hey, we're a bigger, richer church. We want to be able to hold on to our clergy longer than those chumps out in the small towns. Or, hey, right. you know, let them hold on to their hick pastors, but let us have our good, nice, big one that we pay for. Um, and then there have been pastors that like building up a comfortable place that they can not be challenged too much. And so what what reasons do you think itinerancy is not great?
1: Um why is it not great?
0: How is it so obviously not the best way of doing things to you?
1: <laughs> I mean, other than a personal thing, obviously the comfort thing is uh, a pro. Um,
0: Can you I think thought of-
1: about it enough? I don't think I thought about it enough to, okay, here are the downsides. Here are the upsides to it. It's just a preference thing. It, it, my opinion at this point is a preference thing.
0: But but is there any reason to prefer not having itinerancy outside of comfort that you can ascertain uh, on the fly?
1: So, yeah, I guess worrying about, oh, are we going to have a preacher this Sunday? Or is somebody going to show up? Like, are they stuck out on the road? Like, oh, what are we going to do this Sunday? Somebody else has got to step up, and if you don't have somebody to step up in the congregation, then that's problematic.
0: Okay, so that would be if you have, like, a circuit rider who has to hit multiple locations on any given Sunday. but. Right. What what became common in America was on. I think it was every six months at first, and then it became a year, and then uh, it became a oh, regular. But but they would have one different clergyman that was their clergy for a short period of time, and then they would move along before people got too comfortable with him or he got too comfortable there.
1: Okay, yeah. So if they're if they're there for a year, I guess the 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 downside from a like a pastoral standpoint you your point you're you're putting pressure on your family if you've got one you know nobody likes getting up and moving every year every two years every half a year that just sounds awful like I can put strain on a marriage that can make your kids like regret um that their parent is a past like a parent in a, uh, methodist sense there uh, is a pastor um I, I guess I could see a bunch of problems on that side of it, um, from the church side of it, I'm sure there are. I just haven't, I'm off off the top of my head. Yeah, right, yeah.
0: And you haven't thought about it for years yeah, like yeah. most. So global Methodist polity is moving away from itinerancy. Right. Um, they're still going to have it, as we're going to see in the next section, in the form of the, the episcopacy. They're expected to move around regularly sort of like circuit riders, At least it seems to me that's what this indicates by calling them the Ministry of Oversight or Apostolic Ministry, moving around. Um, Like
1: bishops and district superintendents?
0: Well, I think they're only focusing on bishops, and then they're lifting up uh, presiding elders. It'll say they have the authority to lift up presiding elders to help them in that task, but it seems to me that so far as itinerancy is concerned, it really expects bishops only to be moving around and, and guarding and defending things and maintaining things. And then um, the the expectation. so the United Methodist Church and many Methodist bodies did have an itinerancy. Well, in Pioneer America, they did have circuits where they went around, and then it was expected that laity would fill in for them, kind of like what you were concerned about. But then as it became an established denomination, um, yeah, there were longer-term appointments, six months and then a year. But people still showed up to annual conference every year with all their stuff packed up, expecting to go to a different home from annual conference not knowing where that was it was going to be read aloud at annual conference that
1: sounds terrible i wouldn't want to do that
0: so i got into ministry really wanting to do that because you know it's like um, when you when you talk to people that were once um, in a military family they went to many different locations and they had to learn how to be like resilient and get along and make new friends and navigate new societies learn new cultures and that is a very exciting and dynamic way to be. So like that that kind of was the spirit of methodism for so long was we're not people who like like comfort and like sitting. We're people who get out and do things. We meet new people, we navigate new situations, we figure out how the gospel applies in lots of different contexts and people who are not interested in that shouldn't be doing itinerant <laughs> ministry.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that appeals to some people. I'm not one of those people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so but you're not in ministry Anyway, yeah, but the, there, there's there been a consistent uh, clamoring from clergy that just don't want to, but they want to be Methodists. They want to be Methodist clergy.
1: Oh, so you're like, if you're not, if you don't like this, you're not a Methodist, get out.
0: Well, I don't think I can be anymore. I think the itinerancy is all but dead. Um, so my idea was to revive it through... Um, Uh, a network of young men who were given motorcycles and Bibles and given circuits to to drive around and minister to different local churches on circuits like in the old days. I think, and then, you know, but once they get married, like, yeah, don't do that anymore because they have families and that doesn't work. But I do think without a a kind of regular itinerant spirit and people constantly on the move like that, I do think we're just not going to be able to ever have the energy and dynamism of early Methodism. Maybe. So be it, says TJ. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, read to us that next portion. The Ministry of Oversight, or Apostolic Ministry. Elders who are called and appointed to oversee the work of others are part of the Ministry of Oversights, or the Apostolic Ministry of the Global Global Methodist Church. Upon their election to the office, elders may serve as a bishop of the church to defend the faith, and to provide oversight and discipline to the churches and clergy that compose the annual conference in turn bishops may call and appoint other elders as presiding elders or district superintendents to give guidance and direction to those serving as clergy within their districts organize new churches and assist disciple and provide sacramental support to laity deacons and elders in the located ministry
0: So you said disciple, but it says discipline, and that has a a different connotation. But even so, yeah, that's that's the introduction to the role of the bishop in the connection. They defend the faith, promote oversight and discipline to the churches and clergy, and then they can call on um, presiding elders to help them in that task.
1: Anything to say on that other than?
0: There's going to be a lot more about bishops. Um, I did an interview with Reverend David Donnan in uh, Georgia. He's thinking that the role of the bishops is the most important question for the Global Methodist Church right now. Uh, There's going to be a lot of—at next year's uh, uh, general conference, they're going to try and figure this out. I have no idea how it's going to go, but a big question is how much authority they should hold in, in the new setup, but that's that's not really directly addressed here. I think everybody wants bishops to defend the faith and provide oversight, so I think there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with this language here.
1: Yeah, nothing jumps out at me.
0: Okay. Well, I guess we're ready to move on then.
1: Uh, yeah, paragraph 405, basic qualifications for the ordained. Those to be ordained must meet the following qualifications. One... Have a personal faith in Jesus Christ and be committed to Christ as Savior and Lord. It seems pretty basic. Two nurture and cultivate spiritual disciplines and patterns of holiness consistent with the general rules, including responsible self-control by exhibiting personal habits that are conductive to conducive, conducive to bodily health. Mental and emotional maturity, integrity in all relationships, fidelity in a Christian marriage between one man and one woman, chastity and singleness, social responsibility, and the knowledge and love of God. Three, have a call by God and the people of God to devote themselves to the ministry, to the work of ministry. Four, be able to effectively communicate the Christian faith. Five, give evidence of God's gift for gifts for ordained ministry and promise for future usefulness in the mission of the church six accept the authority of scripture be competent in the disciplines of scripture theology church history and polity possess the skills essential for the practice of ministry and lead in making disciples of jesus christ seven be accountable to the church Accept its doctrinal standards, discipline, and authority. Accept the supervision of those appointed to the Ministry of oversight, and live in covenant with its ordained ministers. Seems pretty basic. Um, They did point out in 2 that marriage is between one man and one woman. So they made that pretty clear. Um... Yeah, I've really nothing to push back on any of this, do you?
0: Well, there's a follow-up on last week we talked about this theology of call. You see that uh, yeah, I underlined I wasn't that, I, hit
1: that. Huh? So I wasn't going to hit that because well, I was thinking like
0: you're going to see it multiple times in this section. It just undergirds everything. If you do not have a personal I I I think I think it would be reasonable to conclude that if you do not have a strong sense of personal call, they do not intend to have you enter ordained ministry.
1: So yeah, but uh, there's probably not a lot of people that say, "Uh, ah, yeah, I just want to do this." It's probably going to be a So
0: what it what fall. it usually turns into is like I I don't have a strong like mountaintop, but you know, this has been evidenced in different ways and it's been validated at different times and they go, "Oh, okay, that's good enough for us." And then, you know, at that point it's just like, "Well, Whatever. I don't know. I, I don't have anything much to say. Well, I would just say, like, I don't see the point of it. Um, if, if it's evidenced, you know, if that's what matters, then just say that there needs to be clear call of evidence that God is blessing and, and lifting up this person for ministry, whether or not they feel it personally. So I, I don't know why it, it's they've maintained it so strongly.
1: I don't know. It, it irritated me last week and this week. It's just, eh.
0: The the other thing to highlight, you know, I like point two, how you know they need to be just generally a well balanced person. Also, I should say, uh, it it makes explicit reference to the general rules, but there's a huge number of clergy who have never read the actual general rules. They just know, do no harm, do good, attend upon the ordinances, or most actually think this is stay in love with God. It's not. Um, All all clergy should read and be familiar with that document and apply it as, as you're able to your life. But then secondly, um, there's a lot of concern for just personal responsibility, self-control, general bodily health. I yeah, mean, this is no, something that's really lacking in clergy.
1: Yeah, in the U.S. especially. I'm sure it's other places, but I mean, yeah. the U.S. is known for...
0: Like, Lord I would ordained. really like it if I've, we did have boards of ordained ministry that somebody came to them who's just really unhealthy and they just said, look, we can't Take you seriously until you're in better shape.
1: That's fat shaming. How dare you? Well, yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: morbid o- obesity is is part of that, but oh, also, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, there are just people. Uh, apparently, I, I learned recently, the average American cannot do five push-ups.
1: I'm not surprised by that at all.
0: That's just, you know, um, that has huge health implications. Yeah, it's that is bad. not good. Yeah, if you can't do five push-ups, you need to get working. Even if you're not clergy, like, it, uh, I saw a thing that... I
1: have real push-ups, not girl push-ups.
0: Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Anyways. If you can't... I mean, so there was a a thing came out last year showing that people who can do 30 push-ups or more have much lower rates of heart disease and heart attacks. Yeah, I don't know. I
1: don't even know if I can do 30 push-ups. Well, get to it. (laughs) Can you do 30 push-ups?
0: Last I checked. Okay. Yeah. As soon as we turn off the cameras, we're doing push-ups. I know
1: I can do at least 10. Only you, I, I, I said at least. At least.
0: You can't do 20.
1: I might be able to do 20. Oh, my gosh.
0: All right. The other thing I noticed in this section is um, there is no requirement to have been participating in a Wesleyan class meeting. There is no expectation whatsoever that a person has familiarity with small group accountable discipleship. I think that's a problem. I I think that it should be mandated that anyone who is uh, uh, considered for ministry has familiarity with this method of making disciples. Otherwise, I don't know how they're going to be able to do it if they haven't been inculcated in that. I mean, that's, that's the that's that's the crucible where Methodists are made so uh, it's just strange to me that well it's not strange I know why it's not in there it's because it, it fell out of favor and not many churches do it
1: well so you would have it say what what exactly on there I,
0: I I would have it you know I guess point eight uh, at, been part of a Wesleyan accountability small group discipleship group um, for at least one year
1: well it doesn't even say like you got to be part of a part of the church for any period of time at this point. I think it says it later but it doesn't. Say oh that it's part.
0: in the it's in the next section paragraph 406 and that's where I made my notes. So go ahead and read that section. okay.
1: Entrance to into ordained ministry 406. Persons who hear a call to ordained ministry should meet with their local pa- pastor or a presiding elder to inquire about candidacy. They must have held membership in a local global Methodist church or its predecessor for at least one year and shall complete a background and credit check. Upon the recommendation by two-thirds secret ballot of the pastor-parish relations committee or equivalent, the charge conference shall by simple majority vote whether to approve and certify them for candidacy. Um, So it
0: talked about... uh, they, the only requirement is that they have to have been in membership of a local church for a year. Yeah. So I guess I would have it stipulated up above or right there that they had to have been part of a class meeting for a year, okay. over a year. So, But it's not there. The other thing I had a problem with is the Pastor Parish Relations Committee being a secret ballot and it being a two-thirds thing. I just don't think... First I don't think this stuff should be done secretly. I think right. we should know who has a problem and why and what it's about. But two two-thirds majority is not much. Like mm-hmm. there are some issues where you know, I for disaffiliation from the United Methodist Church, I think it should have been simple majority. But if you're talking about vouching for somebody to be other people's spiritual guide and there's not at least 90% support that this person has what it takes, I'm kind of yeah. anxious about that.
1: Yeah, if you got just 67% of the vote, and that's that's a lot of people probably that are voting against you. That that's demoralizing up front. I would think. <laughs> like I would. Yeah, like, oh, I don't think it's gonna work out, guys. I'm just gonna I'm gonna bounce. This is
0: well, even if you clear it by say 80%. Like, what are those other 20% of people see? Like, this is a very—when yeah. you're talking about recommending someone for ministry, it's a very gracious process. Like, people want you to do well. It's an exciting thing to be like, man, maybe God is, like, lifting up this person in our midst. So if if you're still only getting 80%, like, what are the other 20% seeing? What's the Well,
1: and since it's a secret ballot, you can't, like, ask them, like, oh, hey, what do I need to work on? What are the things that you see that are problematic that would not—would keep me from— from being your pastor, mm-hmm. so it's just like uh, I don't know what's going on. I can't ask anybody.
0: Well, you can ask them, but I mean, it, I the, hope they tell you. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's kind of this formal. Yeah, I I don't like. Well, I've already said what I don't like. Yeah. Anything else before we move on?
1: Um, I mean, since we're already on that, I thought the credit check thing was interesting. I didn't think about that at all. Um, I mean, that's good. Um, because you got to make sure they're competent with money. uh,
0: Well, and there's. we'll see if we make it today. I kind of doubt we'll make it. But um, the questions when you become clergy, one of them is, are you in so much debt as to embarrass you in your ministry? Mm. So that's one of the historic questions. It matters how you deal with money.
1: Right. Okay. I guess that's kind of subjective, because what if it doesn't embarrass them?
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you do with people that don't have the decency to be embarrassed? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you're not embarrassed about it? Welcome in. You yeah. know, well, the notion is uh, not, are you embarrassed, but um, should you be embarrassed? That's right, that's yeah. more of what it's about.
1: Yeah. Okay. Number two, uh, candidacy, candidacy discernment. After local church approval, a certified candidate shall spend a minimum of six months in discernment, which must include a supervised internship or employment in a ministry setting. During this time, the candidate shall, A, engage with discernments, including but not limited to completion of a guidebook, mentoring and participation in a small group with other candidates. So you don't have to be, so you, you can become a minister and then you've got to go into one of the small groups. Oh, I guess with other candidates, not necessarily with your church,
0: right? Yeah, okay. I, I don't think there's a compulsion not to the do the small thing. groups at right. all in any point of this. Okay, um, but the... also I don't I don't I don't think that they're serving in ministry at this point. I think that they're candidates for ministry. They're just in a six month period of discernment. Well,
1: in a ministry setting, they got to be an intern, so I don't know what that. that it's not really clear on what that could entail. This includes a a supervised internship or employment in a ministry setting.
0: Okay, yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: B, have a secondary school diploma or its equivalent. C, undergo a psychological evaluation. And D, upon completion of the foregoing, the candidate shall write a statement detailing his or her call to ordained ministry and submit it to the annual conference board of ministry. Okay. And three, once accepted as a candidate for ministry by the Annual Conference Board of Ministry, a candidate shall undergo a process of ministerial and spiritual formation and development uh, developed by the Annual Conference Board of Ministry. The Annual Conference Board of Ministry shall determine the length and content of the process, though it, shall, it should focus on the development of spiritual maturity and leadership skills necessary for successful ministry in the candidate's ministry setting.
0: My eyes glaze over with point three. do yeah. you get anything from it? Um, no okay. Point two, I've got a diatribe. I've got to go on Ooh. well, and I don't remember if I've done this with you, but for viewing audience, I got a big
1: problem with the psych the psych evaluation i yeah I, I think you said something about it before, but I just did not i It sounds great to me, but i it depends on what so who's how doing you it's...
0: set it up? Why does it sound great to you?
1: Um, so it definitely depends on who's doing it. What, what do you consider somebody who's psychologically unstable? Um, so I, I've got to know the parameters of the the thing to begin with. Um, but even just a basic, hopefully a basic psychological evaluation will kind of weed out some of the more crazy. I mean, you think that would have done that in the United Methodist church, but obviously it didn't. It's full of, full of crazies. Um, I don't know, I just think it's a good thing on the front end.
0: So I would agree with you and with other people that unstable people should not be in ministry. Right. I just disagree about the psych evaluation being a particular help, particularly helpful way of discerning that. I okay. think explain why. I think the Board of Ordained Ministry is normal, healthy, balanced people spending time with the candidate. They should be able to discern for themselves who is balanced and who's not based on their own metrics—
1: well, they don't have to take a psych evaluation. So, what if you got a bunch of crazies?
0: Then you're in trouble anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're in so. trouble anyway. You you need to know who's who's on the board of Ordained You need to have the right people on the board of ordain ministry. If you don't have the right people on the board of Ordained ministry, everything is going to get ruined. Right. So this just assumes that you're doing your job, getting the right people on the board of ordain ministry. But the second thing is, um, psychological professionals are not informed by a biblical worldview or a historical understanding of what a healthy human looks like. Rather, psychology radically changes from decade to decade with their different understandings of what a healthy human being looks like, what a functional life looks like. Most people who go into psychology are not well-balanced people. That's why they're going into psychology. Every model used from Freud on up hasn't gelled with humans as we are. We're living in... The second generation of people for whom mental illness has been destigmatized, there's therapeutic intervention at every level in public school and uh, the workplace and everything. We are more psychologically unhealthy than any generation ever before. Mm -hmm. So we keep doing this. I'm reading um, this book, The Moth and the Iron Lung, right now, where they started having all these kids with neurological symptoms and going, man, it must be a virus. It was actually that they were putting Mm -hmm. mercury in all of these different, like teething pastes mm. and stuff. And it, mercury creates neurological symptoms. But they, they kept thinking, they kept treating something uh, mundane with something that made it worse, exacerbated it. And that's what I think most mental health intervention, therapy, psychology does today. You take people that are undergoing normal stress and anxiety, but then you're teaching them all these fake ways. To understand themselves and what to do in adversity, and you're exacerbating the problem, and you're you're um, uh, essentially <laughs> uh, it gets it gets big from there. And I know I sound crazy to you, but the the largest point I would make that I don't think anybody can argue with is we have gotten more mental health intervention in the last twenty years than at any other point in we're human off. history, and we are worse off than we've ever been psychologically. Yeah,
1: no, I'd agree with that. I. I generally have a low view of psychology to begin with. Um, Sorry for everybody who's a psychologist out there. Um, If it works for you, it works for you. It just doesn't, not something that has appealed to me, ever.
0: Uh, I, I think even people who think it works for them generally would do better to submit themselves to a local church environment, an accountable discipleship group, where you're just dealing with normal non-professionals, I don't right. think. I think professionalizing this has done a lot of harm. For thousands of years, we've regulated crazy people in groups, you know, and that's what the church, part of the church, we're supposed to help each other not be so crazy and kind of normalize under the cross of Christ. But whenever you professionalize this and farm it out to to professionals who don't know what they're doing, I know they think they know what they're doing. They talk a big game. But I, I think nothing is better than getting people in an accountable small group around the Bible. I just think I think that's the only thing that does it.
1: Well, yeah. Well, get get people around that actually care about you and aren't just being paid to listen to your woes and problems. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a whole other thing. Like, how are you supposed to, <laughs> when when they would not be talking to you unless they're getting paid, right? Then how is that supposed to be anything resembling a genuine, genuine human interaction? Right. Yeah. So, and I know I sound really cruel with this stuff. There are a lot. How there are some people that are very sick, and yeah, that's true. I just don't think that that. um, Okay. Here's another anecdote. There was a Quaker community in York, Maine, got formed uh, uh, 150 years ago, cured um, schizophrenia schizophrenia, even today, we don't talk about curing anything. It's something that you manage. But they created this whole uh, place where they were treated decently, they were treated like human beings, they were given a, a functional way of life, and there wasn't a there was a 100% cure rate. But what I am saying, uh, just like in addiction ministry, anything that's faith-based is going to have better results than something that's not. And even when we're talking about pharmacological intervention, we put all our faith in drugs. We don't know how a lot of these work. There's all kinds of fallout. I just think we're going to look back in 100 years and go, man, they really just put their trust in this new field that was very dependent on pharmaceuticals. We're going to look
1: back in 20 years and just say, oh, that was real dumb. Why did we do that? Maybe. If that, like not maybe 10. Yeah. Like it seems like every decade we're like, oh, that was a bad idea. Let's try something else.
0: Now, yeah. Yeah we've gone off the deep end and we're going to be done now. <laughs> but the thing is, this this needs to be something that, okay, if we're going to talk about the global Methodist church not being the handmaiden of whatever culture that we're in, then we need to have at least the ability to step outside of whatever presuppositions everybody's saying, this is true, and just go, oh, wait, do we really know that this is true? Do we really need to farm this out to another institution that is not under the lordship of Christ Jesus? That doesn't have any kind of proven track record. Um, maybe it'd be wise to reconsider this.
1: Well, hopefully, that's that's just that's they've done the the legwork beforehand. Where that's just like, oh, okay, that's nice that they they did that. It's not really necessary because we know the person.
0: Well, so th- this is making it so they can't say, "Oh, that's not necessary." They have to do it. So the the psych evaluation hung me up. I don't know if you ever read my.
1: I didn't oh. read that one. No. Yeah, it was
0: long, but uh, I was, was going
1: to make a joke earlier. Did you pass your psych evaluation? And apparently, so I, I did.
0: Have. But they were like, "Be very concerned about him. He's very, very structured, and he's not going to be gracious with other people." And and
1: uh, it's, you're, you, it was iffy because you're too structured. Yeah, that's a huge red flag. Like you. Do you want people that are not structured? Yeah, you want so dumb. for
0: them for the no the I was just like this is what the Bible says, this is what the expectation in the church should be and they're like he's very rigid. He's not going to be very compromising with people who don't see things the way that he does. Yeah, that's darn. <laughs> but that's the model. That was the model of psychology. I'm sure it still is. That that if somebody's going to lead a group, they've got to be able to lead everybody in the group. You can't make it have them making people feel uncomfortable. You can't make them feel like they need a safe space you know well, yeah
1: yeah i guess i uh, it comes back to what i first said i'd have to know what the parameters okay what are you, if you are if you think somebody is is too rigid and is too committed to what they think and that's a problem and I, I think that's that's weird that's weird that you would hit on that yeah as a psychologist whatever
0: i said we'd be done we're, we're done We're done yes okay on to paragraph Power 407, 407.
1: Educational requirements for ordination. In order to better prepare leaders, the Global Methodist Church requires candidates for ordination as deacons and elders to fulfill basic educational requirements prior to ordination. Recognizing that educational opportunities opportunities vary based on geography and life circumstances, the Global Methodist Church will accept courses from any of the following. A course of study, COS program, a bachelor's degree program in ministry in majority world contexts, a joint bachelor of arts and masters of divinity program, a program for a master of arts or equivalent degree in the practice of ministry or a masters of divinity degree program. Two, recommended educational institutions.
0: Mine says approved educational institutions. Mm -hmm. I wonder why they changed that. Yeah.
1: So you've got the old one. I've got the one that they continuously update. Yes. So. Yeah. Does yours actually have a list of places? Or does it? This one just has a. No, it
0: makes reference to an approved list. I think
1: that's what this one does. I haven't looked through the
0: whole thing. All right. Take us away.
1: A recommended list of schools for ministry education will be maintained by the Transitional Commission on Ministry. Candidates for ordination are strongly encouraged to choose from the list of recommended institutions to complete educational requirements for ordination. However, candidates may complete their educational requirements at any accredited educational institution, including institutions not on the Global Methodist Church Church's recommendation list.
0: Oh,
1: is that the end of that section? No, I still got like uh, two sentences. Okay, keep going. The Transitional Commission on Ministry must approve courses to fulfill the educational requirements for Methodist theology and denominational history and polity. The Transitional Commission on Ministry will recommend competencies and courses for ministerial training, as well as establish standards for and supervise approved courses of study in conjunction with the Annual Conference Board of Ministries. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to point three.
0: So in the old version, I just stopped showing it because it's not relevant. Um, The old version does not make room for people to take courses from any accredited institution at all. So they broadened this.
1: Oh, so on the one that you've got, it says, okay, you can go to this. We've got a list. You can only go to this list.
0: Yeah, they have an approved list. And then upon appeal, the commission will consider any exceptions to this list and may grant its approval on an individual basis. Maybe they just decided they don't want to be in the business of doing that.
1: I don't know. I like that better than this. He opened it up to well, okay. So just say you went because you went to a really liberal um, uh, college. Mm-hmm. Um, so yours, yours automatically would be off the list. You wouldn't be able to to pass it if we went by that, right? Unless you appeal it.
0: Dude, that would be nuts if they were like, we don't accept anything from these liberal institutions. If
1: there was a list that said, okay, you can't have gone to these or like you can appeal it, but you've got to go through a more stringent process. I would be okay with that.
0: I haven't heard of anything like that. So usually the concern is with these like fly by night Bible colleges or right. whatever.
1: One of the ones that I went to, right? Area. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I haven't heard. I haven't heard anyone saying we should take Boston University. Anyone who goes Boston University School of Theology out that we can't trust them. They've been indoctrinated and in all this crap. They got to go through. Something new, or they've got a... Re-
1: re-education <laughs> program. That
0: would be crazy. <laughs> that that, yeah. that would set off a war.
1: That would be problematic. I can see that why that would be an issue.
0: That'd be great, though. We should do it.
1: <laughs> re-education camps for the Methodist, Global Methodist Church. They would have a heyday with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh. A lot of hay would get made. Yeah. All right. Uh right. Let's go on.
1: Okay. Three deacons' educational requirements. So that was... Are we getting specific now? Yeah. Okay. A total of 10 courses or 30 credit hours are required for those ordained as deacons, which I think that's like 10 classes, full-time classes or something. Did you say 30? Yeah. Okay. Because I think three credit hours when I was going to college was one class, something along those lines. Um, It could be different. Anyways. A- Courses in the following five areas are required for all persons seeking ordination as a deacon, plus one additional course for those who will be pastoring a church or planning to pursue elders orders. In here we go. Introduction to the Old Testament, introduction to the New Testament, Christian leadership and conflict resolution, Methodist theology, denominational history and polity, basics of preaching required for persons who are, who are or will be pastoring a church or planning to pursue elders' orders. And that's all for A, so anything on there?
0: I just think it's weird. Christian leadership, maybe, okay, but conflict resolution, I have never heard of a good conflict resolution course, and so I don't know what they would be receiving there.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think I've actually taken a conflict resolution course, but I imagine it's... I mean, there's, like, basic stuff in most leadership classes, and I've taken an unnecessary amount of leadership classes, and I hate them all, um, by the way. They're all awful. Um, you just yeah, don't like leading. I just don't like... No, I don't like leadership classes. <laughs> okay. I, I think there's a... <laughs> what do you not like about Okay, him? so... It's, <laughs> Yes, you can teach people to be a leader in a sense, but I think there's like a, a, a personality or some kind of like uh, something behind it that you're you're born with, I guess. Um, you have the it factor. Yeah, yeah. Like I just the idea of teaching it it, it makes sense. So you're you just irritated.
0: Like, you're like you're you're telling me to have this it factor. I can't have it. Give up.
1: Yeah. If somebody doesn't have that, and they take a leadership course and they're my boss or something. I'm gonna be like, this is you obviously took a leadership class. There are people in in anecdotal. There are people that I work with that have blatantly taken leadership classes and are not leadership material and I can tell that they've taken a leadership class because they spout the nonsense in the leadership class in every leadership class and I hate them. That's that's just a tangent and don't get me started anymore. Just let's go on. I think they're I think it's I think it's dumb.
0: Japanese had a hard time adopting capitalism because it required selling yourself to an employer saying I have this skill, I'm really good at this and that was really against their culture any sort of bragging like that. So westerners had to come in and say, "Look, just change. <laughs> Talk about what you're good at and then it'll it'll be fine." And so the Japanese learned this and, you know, they've been very successful in business. Sometimes I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that, but you I You disagree.
1: I, you disagree with my anti-leadership class.
0: I I I I don't know. I I mean, I'm generally against classes. I, I like the school of hard knocks, you right, know, yeah. life. But we'll I, learn it. I do think that sometimes it's really helpful. Uh, how to make friends and, and um, impress people? I forget. It's a classic work. He talked about the importance of just looking somebody in the eye and memorizing their name. And I never thought about that. And it was not genuine to me, but I learned to do it. And it's made a huge difference in my life. So, mm. you know, you can't make someone... A different person entirely but i think you can teach somebody new skills so that they can navigate through you, certain I situations you, better
1: i think you can give them ideas but i think they actually have to go out and do the hard work of actually interacting with people and learning how to do it yes i don't think you're going to learn it in a class i think you can get some basic concepts in a class that might help but i feel like most of those are self-evident maybe obviously you would think i'm wrong with your name and Learning your name and looking somebody in the eye, but I don't know. It's always bothered me if somebody doesn't like look me in the eye when they're talking to me. Yeah, like red flag right off. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, yeah, you're a sociopath. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> all right. Point. All of the other ones are good. Introduction all right. to New Testament, Old Testament, blah blah blah. Yeah, a- agreed. Uh, all right, let's go on. Let's see here, where are we at? We're on B. So once a deacon has been ordained, a minimum of five further four for those going on to going yeah four okay anyways a minimum of five four for those going on to ordained be ordained as an elder courses will be required deacons may choose from courses in the following areas pastoral care worship and sacraments apologetics evangelism and missions the gospel vision for justice okay Christian education and discipleship ministering to children models for youth ministry church finance and administration ministry in intercultural contexts or uh, additional courses in bible or theology and the asterisk means required for deacons pastoring a local church or planning to pursue an elders orders so the first four
0: so yeah that that makes clear deacons can lead local church communities, and so some of the pushback... It wasn't pushback, but one of the commenters from this last week said deacons can be given the uh, uh, ability to officiate sacraments whenever a bishop uh, ordains that they shall serve a local church context. But so, yeah, many of them can... So
1: they're serving in place of an elder.
0: Yeah, so they're a deacon, but they can do what an elder typically does...
1: the bishop approves
0: it. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. But it's it's what I was saying last week. Deacons can do whatever they want. They can serve in whatever capacity that they want. That'll become increasingly clear as we read through this. Okay. So, But they do so with some strictures, this one being you have to take pastoral care, worship and sacraments, apologetics, evangelism, and missions. They don't have to take the one that you didn't like the gospel vision for justice. Yeah,
1: but the fact that it's even on the list is just, justice is justice. If you have to add, add a, a qualifier to it, it's not justice.
0: There you go. Ali Beth Stuckey has a good uh, segment on that on PragerU. So That's if right. you disagree, just look up PragerU, Ali Beth Stuckey. All right, let's get back
1: into it. Um, Let's see here. These courses will be determined in consultation with the presiding elder in consideration of the deacons ministry setting failure to complete these additional courses within 7 years that's fairly long will result in a deacon being placed on inactive status until the courses are completed
0: so yeah you noted this is a very gracious timeline that people are put on
1: yeah that's that's quite a quite a long time 7 7 years so yeah
0: If you can't get it done in seven years, you're not very committed.
1: So they have to... That's before they're ordained as a deacon or after they're ordained as a deacon.
0: I think it's... I think it's... I think it's after.
1: No, Yeah, once a deacon has been ordained.
0: Yeah. So yeah, you're already ordained and then you have seven more years to complete those additional ones.
1: Okay, so to be ordained, you have to take what's in A... Yeah. And then once you've taken those 30 courses, 30 credit hours, mm-hmm. 10 courses, then all of these in B, you've got seven years to complete. There you go. Okay. Interesting. Um, so you've got 30 credit hours, but these are just extras. Mm-hmm. I still think seven years is a little too long, but whatever.
0: Okay. I I, I don't have any strong feelings about okay. it.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to four. Elders educational requirements. For deacons who wish to pursue elders orders, a of, minimum of 10 additional courses beyond the 10 already taken for ordin, ordination as a deacon will be required.
0: Remember, deacon, everybody, so in the United Methodist Church, there are two separate orders, deacon and elder. In the global Methodist Church, deacon is a, what you have to become in order to become an elder. So, it doesn't always lead to elder, you can just stay a deacon. But, uh, there to become a deacon, you had to take those courses, and then to take it to become an elder to stay a deacon, you have to take courses. But then to become an elder, you have to take these additional courses as well.
1: Yeah, when they ordained you in uh, what was that last year? Mm -hmm. Um, and all the other it was this year, was it this year? Yeah, it hasn't been that long. Time flies, um, yeah. So, they uh ordained you as a deacon and then ordained you as an elder right after, like same.
0: Yeah, and I don't think that that's going to be common going forward. I think that's just at this transitional period. What right, doing. right?
1: Yeah, most of them were already on their way to being an elder, if not mm-hmm. already an elder. So, yeah. um, okay. This is the uh, this is a an additional in addition to all courses required for the office of deacon, courses in the following six courses will be required prior to ordination as an elder. History of Christianity through the Reformation. History of Christianity, Reformation to present. Church finance and administration if not already taken. Um, Systematic theology. One elective course in the Old Testament, one elective course in the New Testament, Um, B. Following ordination as an elder, courses in addition additional four areas will be required to complete the educational requirements. These courses may be chosen from along, among the following areas: uh, theology elective, mission and church renewal, media and modern applications, advanced preaching, spiritual formation, and philosophy of religion. Nothing there. I'll go, I'll finish C. Uh, Well, I'll finish C and five. Uh, C is failure to complete these additional courses within seven years. Um, So the same timeline will result in the elder being placed on inactive status until the courses are completed. And finally, five, the Transitional Commission on Higher Education and Ministry will determine whether courses at a given institution meet the requirements list in this paragraph. Each annual conference board of ministry shall certify that the course is taken by a person corresponding sufficiently to those areas.
0: So, so yeah, this Transitional Commission on Higher Education and Ministry is that what it was called? Higher Education and Ministry? or was a
1: Transitional it... Commission on Higher Education and Ministry.
0: Yeah, okay. So, up above, it had a Transitional commis- Commission on Ministry, which I think is the same board. I texted somebody in leadership this morning saying, is that a commission that's officially established? Is it is it going? I know that they have a, an official list of higher education institutions that they recognize because Walter Fenton sent that to me like a month ago, but it hasn't been published yet, I don't think. Um, the thing I'm wondering— as I'm looking at this, is, okay, I've been ordained as an elder. I thought I could just sit, but this indicates that even after you're ordained as an elder, you need to take one of these courses. I'm wondering if they're going to start breathing down my neck in a year or two, going, you, you need to take these additional four areas. Uh, you got put on a, a, a timer. You've already uh, taken up two of your five years, so get it done.
1: So have you not already like taken courses like that? Or that's uh, you see that as... Okay, what I've already taken doesn't count. I mean, it takes more.
0: Um, because this is theology only saying, elective. Like, I mean, I could say a lot of more theology electives, but
1: surely you've taken more than twenty courses.
0: I don't know. It's been it's been like over a decade since I graduated seminary.
1: You got a transcript, you don't have a master's degree, but you got a bachelor's. It's a master's. Is it okay? Yeah, I mean, yeah master you divinity. More. So, what? full-time is usually four four classes a, a year depending on the credit hours it
0: took a lot of classes
1: or not even a year I think that's like a semester
0: yeah yeah it took yeah four semester probably yeah yeah
1: so it, yeah I would think that
0: we're gonna find out like <laughs> we're not gonna figure it out right here I don't think no, but no. uh yeah I uh, it says following ordination as an elder, Courses in additional four areas will be required to complete the educational requirements. So we'll just see. Hopefully I don't hear from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to say on this section before uh, we go on to the historic questions? This was the section I was hoping we'd get to.
1: Oh okay. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think so. Okay. wanna do we wanna hit this one? Yes, we do. Okay. We definitely do. Definitely do. All right. So paragraph four oh eight. Historical historic questions. In addition to what whatever other questions may be asked, persons seeking ordination as deacon shall be evaluated during their interview by the annual conference board of ministry or equivalent based upon their answers. Or, yeah, or equivalent. I mean, that's weird phrasing. Or equivalent based upon their answers related to the following historic questions. First asked, about those desiring to be quote traveling preachers unquote. Number one, do they know God as pardoning God? Have they the lo- have they the love of God abiding in them? Do they desire nothing but God? Are they holy in all manner of conversation? Okay.
0: Not okay. How many clergy even pass this standard? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) So, okay, most will talk about God as pardoning God. Do they have the love of God abiding in them? Well, how do you test that? Love of enemy, love of the poor, right? These are the people that are hard to love. How many clergy have the love of enemy and of the poor abiding in their hearts? Do they desire nothing but God? Here's here's the basic litmus test I have for a lot of clergy is go to their Facebook page and scroll down all their posts and see how many have to do with Jesus, mm. and then how much does it have to do with family or sports or community stuff? You know, the, does it really seem like their bleeding heart is for Jesus? You know, uh, are they holy in all manner of conversation? Yet yeah, when you're talking to them, does it feel like you're talking to a holy person or not? You know, uh, (laughs) no. (laughs) I mean, I guess a lot of people might not even feel that way when talking about me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's something I need to reflect on. But I'm I'm sure that this, if it was applied in any literal sense, would screen out a ton of people.
1: Could be. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Probably. I mean, the Facebook thing alone. You say, hey, go look at somebody's Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Two. Have they gifts as well as evidence of God's grace for their work? Have they a clear, sound understanding and right judgment, a right judgment in things in the things of God, a just conception of salvation by faith? Do they speak justly, readily, or clearly? And clearly. And clearly. Yeah. Well, it. Clear yet. Yeah. Just clearly. There's yeah. No, even, not even an ant. Yeah. I'm just right, saying it's right, not
0: right, exclusive. Right. It's all these things. They should gotcha. speak justly, more. readily, clearly. Right. So it. Nothing on that one? Or I mean, I just think it piggybacks on this high standard of righteousness that's expected. All
1: right. Three. Yeah. Have they fruit? Have any been truly convic- convinced of sin and converted to God? and are believers edified by their service. As long as these marks occur in them, we believe that they are called of God to serve. These we receive as sufficient proof that they are moved by the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay. I think it's a good opening litmus test. People should go no further unless that they, you know, and of course, they're not expected to be perfect, uh, uh, but it is expected that sanctification has begun. It's evidenced in many forms of analyzing their life. It's it's outwardly seen and attested. Okay.
1: I have, yeah, I have nothing to say on that. Okay, go on. You'll have something to say about this next list. Oh, no. Okay. Prior to ordination as an elder, candidates shall provide the board of ministry with written answers to the following questions historically asked by bishops since the time of John Wesley. Number one, have you faith in Christ? Number two, are you going on to perfection? Three, do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Number four, are you earnestly striving after perfection in love? 5. Are you resolved to devote yourself wholly to God and to God's work? 6. Do you know the general rules of our church? 7. Will you keep the general rules of our church? 8. Have you studied the doctrines of the Global Methodist Church? 9. After full consideration, do you believe that our doctrines are in harmony with the Holy Scriptures? 10. Have you studied the our form of church discipline, discipline and polity. Number 11, do you approve our church government policy? Number 12, will you support and maintain them? 13, will you exercise the ministry of compassion? 14, will you diligently instruct the children in every place? 15, will you visit the house, or will you visit from house to house? 16 will you recommend fasting or abstinence both by precept and example 17 are you determined to employ all of your time in the work of god 18 are you in debt so as to be as to embarrass you in your work 19 will you be observant will you observe the following directions a Be diligent, never be unemployed, never be triflingly employed, never trifle away time, neither spend any more time at any one place than is strictly necessary. Be punctual, do everything exactly at the time, and do not mend our rules, but keep them not for wrath, but for conscience sake. All right, that's a lot. Um, I mean, nothing jumped out at me, I guess. Uh, I don't know. What do you have to say about it?
0: There's so much to say. We (laughs) could do a full episode on this. It's a good thing that we're trying to close this off, because I I could really spend a lot of time on it. But we'll we'll, we'll spend at least five minutes on it, because um, the reason that the United Methodist Church got in such bad shape... Okay, so first off, the expectation here is that they put their answers in writing... Which is good because there's a formal record of it, but
1: in the United Methodist Church, there was not. It was not in writing.
0: No, they they had several other things that would be put in writing that were of substance. But with this, the bishop would ask these questions publicly to all the candidates at once in front of the annual conference, oh. and they would say yes, they would do these things. Okay, and they were lying. Uh, not all of them, but most of them. Uh, this establishes a very high bar, you know. So like. Liberals did not agree that the doctrines of the church were in keeping with the scriptures, or even care about that. You know, a lot of them had their yeah. hands, uh, fingers crossed behind their back. Um, same with the polity stuff, and that's that's hard. You know, there's some of the polity that reasonably it it's it should be okay to disagree with, but the question is, are you going to support and maintain them? And if you're not going to, you should not come in to the GMC. So you would agree with that stuff. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So right on the front end, there are going to be a lot of people that do not believe that in in the doctrine of perfection. It's something that I preach on from time to time, but the notion is that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than our sin and that we are able to sublimate, be so sublimated to the Holy Spirit that we are perfected in love in this life. Very few preachers actually believe this. It's okay if you don't, you're laity. But the thing is...
1: Oh, the, the uh, what's it called? What is the name of that um, doctrine?
0: The Christian perfection. Christian perfection, yeah. yes. So,
1: yeah, this is the doctrine
0: of Christian perfection. It's saying, essentially, do you believe in it? And are you earnestly striving after perfection in love in this life? That's what it's asking. Yeah. You, you
1: have to be a Methodist for sure to answer that.
0: You do? Yeah, cuz yeah. that's, that's a Methodist.
1: Yeah. doctrine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, John Wesley called it the grand depositum of the doctrinal heritage of Methodism. Like it's not something you can wiggle your way around. If you don't believe in Christian perfection, you should not be a Methodist pra- preacher. There there's just you can't. So and if you if you don't think that it's if you agree if you believe in it in theory, but you don't believe that you're you can reach it, you also should be out. You know, the, I believe in it in theory, and I believe in it and expect to see it in my life. That's how hardcore we're supposed to be. Okay. Um, Point five. Are you resolved to devote yourself wholly to God and to God's work? Well, holy means entirely. Like, yeah, yeah. all of me. How many clergy are like, I'm going to put 40 hours a week in. I'm going to put 50 hours a week in then the rest of the time is my time. You know, How many right. clergy wanted to move the parsonage across town so they didn't have to deal with church people off hours? How many clergy wanted to create like office hours and protocols and this is how you can access me? They, they professionalize all this. Well, that's a very different picture than you're
1: giving yourself yeah, entirely. You're in, the, you're in the wrong line of work.
0: I think that's probably the majority of Methodist ministers. Oh, yeah, ministers. No, I think so. They, so. They've
1: taken on kind of a worldly idea of, oh, this is a job, and I got 40 hours a week, and I need my my time. Yeah. And while I can see some appeal to that, like, you definitely have to set boundaries, for sure.
0: But the boundaries are set not so that I can protect myself, you know, like, the boundaries are set so that the purity of Christ's church can be maintained. So, like... We have a wonderful church here. I don't feel the need to defend myself against the church or provide boundaries against the church. You know, last night, there was a medical emergency from somebody. I'm saying, please call me. Please. They're saying, no, you got kids in bed. No, Who cares about the kids? I signed up for this, you know. So I'm not going to—I need to be there. So— When the church is what it's supposed to be, you don't set boundaries between you and the church. It doesn't matter if you're the preacher or the laity. You only set those boundaries if you've got a toxic church that you don't want dripping into your household.
1: Or a toxic personality.
0: Either way. I mean, if if you have a church culture that allows toxic personalities to be toxic. Oh, you're saying
1: get rid of them on the front end. Yes. Okay.
0: I'm saying keep the church pure, and then you don't have to have all these phony... Things introduced that 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 cause all this dysfunction and resentment. Just kick the problem people out. Okay. Maintain a standard of righteousness, and then you don't have all this crap.
1: I see what you got. I'm, I'm on board with you now. I, I was leaving room for the crazy people, the toxic people.
0: So crazy people okay, toxic people not okay. I don't care if they're sane or crazy. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to behave in the right way in the church, and that's not to say that we don't suffer any sin or any misbehavior, but that's to say that sin and misbehavior needs to be followed by repentance or someone leaving the church. But when you allow people—so what we're talking about is we've lowered the bars. We've lowered the bar— for clergy that no longer have to seek after perfection, but then we lower the bar for laity where we don't even expect them to seek holiness, and then we have these nasty churches that then we just try and compartmentalize and th- keep things separate. And so that when you have this, are you resolved to devote yourself wholly to God and his work? Uh, well, no, I need boundaries between me and the church. No, I mean, you've, you've sold the, the church... <laughs> read Acts of the Apostles and tell me that they had professional boundaries between the leadership and the church. You know, that's just silly, you know. Let's move on. It um, has the general rules. I've already talked about that. We have the doctrines. We have the discipline and polity. Will you support and maintain them? That was point 12 there. That is absolutely key. If, if someone is not willing to support and maintain them, they should not be in ministry. Thirteen, will you exercise the ministry of compassion? Yeah, if you're not a compassionate person, you should not be in ministry. Will you diligently instruct the children in every place? I wrote a Substack article on this last week saying how much it bothered me whenever there wasn't a children's ministry for a time, and I didn't get to diligently instruct them. But that's something every single pastor should be doing, is instructing children. If a pastor does not want to deal with children, they should not be a pastor.
1: I, I don't have any pushback. You, sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. If, okay. Very good. There are a lot of people who would be like, well, you know, just have a children's minister for that. And then the head pastor uh, can, he, he shouldn't I
1: think have it would to be, do that. I, I, having a kid's pastor is fine, but if, if your lead pastor doesn't want to interact with the children at all, that just seems weird to me.
0: Yeah. You got problems. If your pastor doesn't want to interact with children is not regularly seeking to build up the children. Um, Will you visit from house to house? This is not commonly practiced at all. No. I used to visit house from house. I haven't done it for a time, for a couple of years. COVID really complicated it. But man, you learn a lot about people by going to their houses.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, no, I imagine. People are just more, um, well, I mean, some people are kind of iffy about it. I guess it just depends on the church and how well you know each other. Like, if you don't know the people that you're, you're going to church with, of course, they're not going they're not going to want you over at their house.
0: There's Well, even if they know you and love you, there are a lot of people who are so ashamed of how that they live that they don't want you in their house. There are a lot of hoarders. There are a lot of people that have dysfunctional home lives, that church is like their safe place, their respite. They don't want their safe place and respite coming into their home. Mm. They've got their spheres. When when you no longer allow for home and church to be separate, there are a lot of people react very defensively against that, that are very sweet to you at church. But don't come to their home. Don't come to their work.
1: Yeah. If you show up at my work, I'd be a little weird.
0: See, in work, see, I think both are absolutely appropriate. Uh, you know, if it
1: depends on like why you're showing up to my work. Like,
0: it's just like, hey, I love you. I'm interested in you. What's up? It's like,
1: yeah, I'm on the clock right now. Go, go away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, depends on the job, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, but- they wouldn't let you in they wouldn't even yeah you you work at the distribution center yeah. yeah see and i've gone to other people's work where they're like meet my coworkers this is awesome i've never had a preacher come you know and then other people are like
1: what do you do here <laughs> yeah um, i don't know it depends on the work for sure but the
0: pastor the pastor's responsible for setting the tone of either this is a phony social club thing where we only see each other on sunday mornings or it's a real life thing where we see each other all the time we're we're in each right. other's homes we know where each other work We know each other. We're friends, you know, so wherever, like, your best friend would be, that's where a pastor should be welcome as well. And pastor, you should be willing to go in those places as well, but so often you find that, like, hey, we have our relationship, but let's not ruin it. Let's not get too close, you know, which is a problem. Okay. Okay. Um, Will you recommend fasting or abstinence, both by precept and example? How many pastors do you think practice fasting nowadays?
1: I don't know. Not very often. I wouldn't think. Oh, well, even laity.
0: Yeah. Well, so there's laity. Forget laity. We're just talking about clergy. This is minimum standards for clergy. clergy? How many practice fasting? You know, abstinence is gone without sex, generally. This this deals with the larger aesthetic of just self-depriving, self-negation, you know. But most clergy don't even have a sense anymore. Part of this therapeutic psychological culture— There's this notion that denying yourself is bad or something. Repressing yourself causes people to act up. Freud. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just not true. Like, repressing myself has been like one of the best things that's ever been. Everybody does it to one degree or another because it's necessary, you know. So it's not that all repression is bad. It's that you need to do the right repression in the right way and process it rightly. But yeah, abstinence and fasting are both absolutely essential spiritual Christian components. That most clergy do not. Well, okay, so abstinence, I'm not willing to say most clergy don't practice. But fasting, they don't practice, and they should. We should. TJ Almost has back. nothing to argue. Yeah. Okay. Are you determined to employ all your time in the work of God? So this ties to point five. Are you resolved to devote yourself wholly to God and God's work? Right. So, But it's one thing to say that's another thing to say, look at your time. You're sleeping eight hours a night. What are you doing with the other 16 hours? How much of that's for God? If it's not all for God, you're breaking this promise. Yeah. It's
1: um, the one we were talking about, 18.
0: Yeah, we're 18, are you so in debt, are you in debt so as to embarrass you in your work? So in as TJ clarified, there are a lot of people who are in debt who are not embarrassed, but they should be. You know, In Romans, Paul says, "'Owe no man anything but to love one another.'" being in debt really is uh, well and you know to a degree i understand that to to build up a credit score you have to have a credit card and stuff but when you look at the massive amount of debt that people in our culture have it's not okay it's it's if you want to talk about slavery being in debt is a form of slavery it drastically decreases the quality of life you have what you can do what choices you can make it's not good
1: yeah, just like student loans in general. And I'm not advocating for the government paying for student loans. I think that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, I chose to take out the student loans. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't you can't get rid of those. You can't declare bankruptcy and they, they don't go away.
0: I was watching a thing of a lady yesterday who took out $80,000 in student loans. She'd already paid 120000 on them. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And she still owes 70000
1: Yeah, Yeah. It was <laughs> insane. But she was paying the minimum amounts and that interest rate was just racking up and racking yeah. up. So after 10 it was after 10 years she had paid she had paid what it was but yeah with the interest I mean she's got $70,000 in interest. Yes. So it's just insane. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the I mean credit card debt is huge. It's yeah, that's 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 worse, but it usually most people are going to have student loans for sure. Um and they're going to dwarf regular credit card debt, maybe, depending on who you are.
0: One of the things for uh, a lot of clergy on the front end of ministry has been saying, you tell us not to go into debt, and then you require these degrees of us that cost money, and we have to take out loans, so tell us what to do. I've been of the mind that um, Genius B. Dotson, he was a leader in the United Methodist Church. He was liberal. He wouldn't have liked me. But he was head of discipleship ministry, and he tracks the growth of... Methodism in America, and when it started declining, and he says the moment it started declining was when we professionalized the clergy and had them take college courses. The moment that was required, and they weren't just doing horseback reading required by John Wesley, that's when you found the dynamism really go down. So I'm sympathetic to the argument that um, we've definitely made it like an upper middle class sort of thing, That um, definitely. College
1: degrees are expensive. Yeah, ridiculously expensive, especially like depending on where you go. If you go to a well-known school, you're going to be in eighty thousand dollars debt after four years. Yeah, like that's just a bachelor's degree. Not even. You get a master's degree, that's even worse.
0: So I guess I'm kind of of the mind that like it is good to have. So, like, I like WBS, you know, Wesley Biblical Seminary. I've interviewed um, a couple guys from there. They do their best to work with people. They have remote learning. So does Asbury. A lot of these places are doing remote learning. But even so, like, it still costs money. I guess I'm of the mind that I, man, I would really like it if the GMC just had their own institutions that were free to anyone that made it this far in the process and then they just educated their own, and then they just didn't let anyone in, and there's just no money involved, or it's paid all on the front end by denominational resources, which I know would require money from local churches.
1: But anyway, I'm just— I, I, I uh, We've got our classes. You want to be a pastor here, take our classes. Mm-hmm. Don't care about your other stuff. Don't even bother going to some crazy expensive college yes. that's, that's going to give you yeah. a bunch of useless classes. We do not
0: care about a degree from Duke yeah. or wherever— we, we don't care about Should that. We water care water. about, can you hold on to the information, inculcate children and adults in the way of Christ? That's what we care about. All right, um, the last one was, will you observe the following directions? Be diligent, never be employed, unemployed, never be trifling, triflingly employed, never trifle away time, neither spend any more time at any one pl- place more than is necessary. That's super intense.
1: Yeah. And I guess I wrote up a time inventory
0: time. a couple of years ago to hand out to people in the pews just to help them look at how am I spending all my time, watch themselves for two weeks. And I only got two back and the people who gave them back to me said, this made me feel bad about myself.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, you, uh, you take inventory of what you do all, all, all day and how many, how long you spend doing it. It's,
0: Time inventory. Time is time is more valuable than money. Right. The other one was uh, be punctual. Mm-hmm. Do everything at exactly at the time, and do not mend our rules, but keep them not for wrath, but for conscience' sake. We were looking at um, stuff the other night about white people and oh, stereotypes yeah, the- about them being punctual and on time and being obsessed with time
1: institutes. Uh- ridiculous list of here's all here's what white people do and
0: yeah yeah which we are both of the mind is racist to say that only white people care about this stuff or only white people can be well, good at this yeah, stuff no,
1: if, if that's if if that's what makes a person white or internalize whiteness that's racist <laughs> especially when it's things like oh showing up on time yeah being a good worker yeah you know but yeah, no, that's racist.
0: But these are these are cultural things that you should be able to count on a Methodist elder or deacon being able to do. And so, if it's not something that they care about or are marked by, they should not be clergy. So it remains to be seen how much we're going to maintain these standards going forward. But they were written down because they're important. They're not signposts of oh, weren't they interesting back then? It's these are cultural norms within this movement that has been. Uh, trashed for 150 years that we're now reclaiming. And if we're not willing to reclaim them, then we have no right to expect the flourishing that we saw under them. That's that's the closing note for me. Any closing notes from TJ?
1: No, but we're, we're pushing it pretty long today.
0: Well, I'm okay with this. It's, it's worth it so far as I'm concerned. So um, if you've enjoyed this, go ahead and send it to somebody. If you know of someone in particular who's considering ordained ministry, you might send this to them, and they can work their way through this section with us. And um, if uh, if you know of anything that we've gotten wrong, then lovingly, politely, gently lift that up in the comments, uh, wherever you're viewing or listening to this. You can also uh, reach us privately at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. And as always, I'm going to invite you, if you want to support the work that we're doing here and help us build out an infrastructure to produce a lot more content in the coming weeks and months and years, then you can go over to plainspoken.locals.com where you can uh, become a supporter. All right. Thanks for your support. I hope you're getting ready for a good Christmas, and we'll see you next week.